We are on the air, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my gosh, I'm really excited about today's show. Uh, my guest today is the master behind the wheels of a steel, one of the most talented turntablists, producer, performer, founding member of Jurassic 5, and Ozomadly collaborator. Um, today on the show, Cut Chemist. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome. Well, this is unbelievable. You know, I can't believe this is actually happening. Like, oh, you wow. know, coming, yeah, for me, it's like coming from such a small, tiny country in South America. You know, I am I am in Ecuador. Mm -hmm. I I never thought that one day technology would allow me to, you know, to have a podcast and talk to DJs, artists, rappers, musicians from all over the world with some people that I grew up listening to, you know, and admiring. So so this is amazing. Thank you so much, Cut, for being part of my podcast. Thank you for doing this. Of course, of course. And and uh, I have to say, I do love traveling through um, yeah. Central and South America, and I've never yeah, been to Ecuador. So it's one of yeah. my places on my list to visit. Absolutely. We're going to talk about that because I know you were in Colombia and Brazil, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is incredible. Thank you, Internet, <laughs> for mm -hmm. this moment. Yeah. Uh, so you've, you've been making music for so long, right? You've been recording, performing for over 30 years now. I think you started DJing when you were 11, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. So I would, I would like to start at the beginning. So what was like your, your first taste of hip-hop that, that you remember? Well, as I get older, it's hard and harder to remember what the very first... <laughs> very first time was uh, yeah. I laid eyes on breakdancing mm -hmm. and that's what it was. Um, for some people, you know, they, uh, my people may have heard planet rock on the radio or, um, rappers delight. Um, I didn't, I, I, I got caught up by watching people spin on their heads and, um, marveled in that and just went what the what's oh really on? was it b-boying okay yeah yeah people spinning on their heads you know i didn't know what it was called back then but yeah it was it, it was b-boying and i think i i kept seeing it you know it was there was like a news program and then there was like you know a presidential event where you know i think new york city breakers were, were dancing or something like that yeah um It was it, it it was just consistent, and then you know Michael Jackson doing the moonwalk on you know Motown 25 uh, ceremony t uh, televised event, you know. So these I started to see different uh, at different times a new sensation, and mm -hmm. um, and it was sweeping the nation with young people, and um, you know from all walks of life, from you know people all classes um all types of shows and so when i saw that i saw it was accompanied with with um somebody manipulating records yeah. and i had already had a fascination with collecting records i wanted mm -hmm. to be a radio dj um probably since i was nine years old and uh you know i, I enjoyed listening to the radio i enjoyed buying records that i heard on the radio and so mm -hmm. when i saw um somebody scratching records it was probably the rocket video by herbie hancock mm -hmm. and um i was just like wow i want to i want to do that i want to do it all i want to break dance i want to uh, scratch records i want to um do graffiti because i i was drawing a lot you know i i, I had a mm -hmm. pen for for the arts so yeah I got involved in all of it. I did graffiti. I did, I DJed, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say I DJed. I bought records to scratch on my parents' turntable and I practiced <laughs> trying to do what was being done by DST on rocket. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then, you know, as time goes on, you, you, you hone in your craft, you know, you keep doing it, um, mm -hmm. by about 86, Um, I started to listen to the radio. Uh, there was a radio station called KDAY out here 
that mm-hmm. it was the only 24-hour station that played rap um, continuously. I mean, they didn't only play rap, but um, they programmed it in their 24-hour mm-hmm. um, rotation. So they had mm-hmm. specialty shows on the weekends where DJs would cut it up. And so I would listen to those, record them, and try to you know learn what they were doing, not by sight, but by ear. Uh, which was a completely different way of learning how to DJ than today, which people have like video tutorials and stuff. Yeah, and, um, and then I just kept practicing and practicing. And eventually uh, I started to do parties and actually make money around probably 87, I would say. 87. Yeah. So you, you grew up in LA, right? Yeah. This is all in Los Angeles. Oh, and, 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 I was wondering, so how did the West Coast hip hop party start? Like, what what would you say was the, I don't know, the rapper that put LA on the map? No, no. You know what put LA on the map was the mobile DJ. Mobile DJs the mobile DJ. were uh-huh. huge in LA. All it right. was like okay. um, mobile DJs and house parties. That was LA culture. Uh-huh. You know, right. we had our club scene, and the club scene was great. But the house party, because L.A. was so spread out, um, you know, I I mean, it was like 50 mile radius of, you know, house party, uh, (laughs) you know, house parties in every direction. So Uh I yeah, I cut my teeth um, DJing house parties and just going like, you know, whatever. It's like uh, quinceañeras, birthday parties bar mitzvahs you know stuff like that um and then eventually there was uh there was like parties in school gyms you know Uh gymnasiums and stuff like that and um that's where i met charlie tuna at one of those and this uh, is yeah. Is this be- is this before NWA and Dr. Dre? This is about the same time, the same time. NWA started. So you got to think like that was huge, right? Yeah, not NWA straight out of Compton, but NWA like Dope Man and uh, yeah. Boys in the Hood by Eazy E. That kind of that that yeah. era. So this is that eighty seven. What was your first record? I mean, this is probably a question that a lot of people ask you, but how many records do you have? How many albums? Oh, uh, I don't know. I stopped counting at 30,000. <laughs> so I would say... <laughs> 30,000. I would say it's, you know, probably around there. Around 30,000. Yeah, yeah, that's a decent number, right? Yeah, although, you know, I'm, <laughs> I I sell records too. So I probably, since yeah. the pandemic started, I've probably gotten rid of mm-hmm. like maybe two or three thousand so mm-hmm. um, so was was music always a part of your life or yeah, was there a yeah, yeah. ever since i yeah. could see and walk and hear it's it's, it's yeah. been in the family my my dad wrote music he recorded music we had musician friends come over okay. uh, bring their instruments my mom played piano so yeah it was it was pretty natural to pick it up cool and when did you discover, so let's talk now a little bit about this Caribbean tropical uh, rhythms. When did you discover cumbia, for example? Mm. Well, how? Um, a couple of things. Um, <laughs> Ozo Motley was, I'm trying to think of when we did, when we wrote the song Cumbia. I don't, I, you know, so we started in 95. Yeah. Um, with Ozomatli, right? With Ozomatli, yeah. Ozomatli was founded in 95. And the group was already experimenting with West African rhythms, um, mm-hmm. salsa, um, you know, uh, Latin jazz, you know, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, cumbias. But uh, I got to say that I really fell in love with cumbias through a mixtape. Uh, from a guy in Chicago mm-hmm. and um, his name was Cooley Mac and he's a friend of Charlie Tuna's and mm-hmm. I don't know why he gave me this tape and it was because it wasn't hip hop or anything but he was just like here check this out mm-hmm. maybe he because I was in Ozomotli but it was like really early like like within the first year I was in Ozomotli so he gave me this tape oh, cool. and it was all Colombian 
So, you know, there was like Fruco, uh, um, you know, so there was Salsa, Joe Arroyo, people like that. But then there was yeah. just like some really heavy cumbia shit too. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love with it. I played it all the time. It was like the only thing really? I had in my car that summer. Wow. And um, and then so cool. Ozomotli does cumbia. And I was like, you know, oh, okay, cool. And I started to kind of make connections uh with cumbia and dub and reggae like you know because they kind of have the same rhythm a little bit like you know the 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 um the two like one you know and so i started to blend those types of records together and um and i don't know if that was inspired by cumbia or if cumbia was inspired by that but we do that in cumbia (laughs) and i know uh will dog who is huge into to dub reggae he probably had a lot to do with me making that connection yeah well yeah. and then you 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 actually traveled to colombia and brazil right can you tell us uh, a little yeah. bit about uh, those experiences a few years ago yeah we went yeah. to did um, you spend a lot of time there not nearly enough no I, it was two yeah. weeks and we yeah. traveled around and it was just me and my girlfriend and and um we spent the most the most time well it felt like we spent the most time in cali uh oh. with quantic and and b plus oh with quantic really mm-hmm. and um he was showing us around uh that um petronial alvarez music festival which is a battle of bands uh in yeah. the pacific northwest uh of of, of the pacific northwest type of music mm-hmm. in Colombia, which is more like the African um, uh, based kind of music. Yeah. And I think they play they play a music style called champeta. Did you did you go champeta, to those yeah, parties? Yeah, 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 yeah. We we those are really crazy parties, right? Oh. Quite a bit of champeta at this island oh. off of uh, Cartagena. Actually, uh-huh. it was it was wild, and um, <laughs> I've never heard it or seen it before so that was like oh you know it was like seeing hip-hop for the first time yeah yeah really was it it was a lot of fun wow that's really cool so what i what i love about hip-hop you know it's for me growing up in the 90s you know no internet so the only thing you could you can have an idea of what was going on in urban america you know it was hip-hop and the sound was for me so futuristic and you know funky and sometimes weird. You know, I love I'm a big fan of Beastie Boys and De La Soul and so on. So there, there were so many innovative and fun elements that that is what got me really into hip hop because I love technology. So I was so what this is a drum machine, you know, and, and sampling and all of that. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the, the the science and technology part of hip hop. Uh, so. Uh, I know that one of the key concepts in hip hop is, you know, to come up with the most rare, obscure loops or samples. And but I know that that is just one part of the job, right? The the the, the other part is turning those those uh, samples into beats. Uh, so, w- what is what is a sampler uh, cut, and and what is sampling? So- um. My first, my first experience with sampling uh, was in 88, 1988. Mm-hmm. I had this keyboard sampler. It was a Roland, and it only sampled four seconds. And mm-hmm. we made all our first demos with that. Basically, right. yeah, we would, I would just take a record and anything I could grab that was four seconds and have it on repeat on beat. Um, I would extend that into like a three minute musical mm-hmm. backdrop and then have the rappers uh, like Charlie Tuna rap over that and record it. And that was our song. Mm-hmm. Um, as technology progressed, I think, you know, I graduated from that Roland keyboard sampler to an MPC 60, right. which was uh, the, the, the SP 1200. That's before I think. No, but I didn't, what, was use, it the... I didn't use the SP 1200. I never had. That's them. like the, the the iconic one, I guess. Yeah, the SP twelve hundred came around like in eighty six, I think. Uh-huh. Um, you know, made famous by people like um, 
Cypress Hill and yeah, ultra magnetic yeah. and people like. Were that. those expensive? Uh, I don't know. I never bought one, but the MPC yeah. 60 was. I think the MPC 60 was like two twenty five hundred bucks, and um, yeah. it was you know these are sam sequencing samplers, so it not only you know sample records snippets of of music, but it also can sequence it into an arrangement. Um, mm -hmm. So they're they're and and they do have stock sounds. So they're they also are drum machines. So drum machines, sampling sequencers, uh, pretty much all in one. Every anything everything you needed to make a song was with this machine. And um, and so I used I used the MPC sixty, which is pretty much just using the SP twelve hundred template, um, but Akai made it instead of MU. And uh, and yeah, so I used that for, I think, well into the 90s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then I don't think I upgraded to Pro Tools until uh, 2004. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so 2004 I used Pro Tools, in which case I ditched all the machines and just did everything on Pro Tools. I recorded in there. I mean, you have unlimited mm -hmm. recording capability and sampling time, so... I just started to record straight into there and do all my arranging and manipulating and chopping in mm -hmm. the on the grid in Pro Tools. Still do actually. Did Did you go to college to learn all this stuff, or was it just uh, learning by doing? No, anything? no, just learned from friends. I went to college yeah. and got a degree in fine art. I used to be art. Mm -hmm. And what what is kind of your uh, your your secret formula. <laughs> uh, how would you describe your own technique? Cut. What what is the cut technique? The cut technique is <laughs> yeah. storytelling through music and sounds from different regions of the world. Yeah. I like to. Yes, I like to use obscure records to make loops, but. That isn't always the case. Sometimes it's better to use a record that people know and chop it mm -hmm. in a new way so that, that they know what you're mm -hmm. doing with the record. I think mm -hmm. somebody like DJ Premier came and, and wrote that law. You know, he was using not so obscure drum breaks. We could, we could recognize them and at that time. The rule was to use the most obscure records, but he didn't. He used like the the most okay. known drum breaks, but he flipped them in a way that no one uh -huh. ever thought possible. Uh -huh. And so That's really interesting. It, it, it kind of made us think like, Oh, it's actually cool to use non obscure records. Premier made it cool yeah. to break the rules. Premier. And so I think from then on, people started to kind of loosen up on those rules of obscurity <laughs> and started to use known things. And then that's when you get things like, you know, uh, Jay-Z and Kanye using Otis Redding and stuff like that, you know, or, yeah. or Hammer using, uh, can't touch it. What is it? Uh, Super Freak by J uh, Rick James. You know, sometimes people want to hear something they know. Uh, yeah, yeah. and Premiere was that perfect hybrid of both where it was like, oh, that shit's corny. But Premiere came and said, no, it's not. Watch what I do with it. And, um, so I like to use that sensibility where it, Yes, I like to flex my obscurity, and yeah. they call flexing the deep crate. Um, but I also there's a time to you know put something in there that people can recognize just to kind of um, obscure the rules a little bit and make it fun, you know, and not so intellectual. Yeah, yeah, yeah I understand. Would you say is there a is there a record that sort of change your career in a way maybe one of those obscure or records um that changed my career uh, uh, like a um a record that i i i dug up that, that might have yeah 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 um yeah yeah mulatu Estatke from ethiopia oh yeah i saw him uh i think it was in 2010 in berlin He's the greatest, right? Yeah, he was doing a lot of performing a few years yeah. back. And That's Ethiopian awesome. jazz, mm -hmm. um, 
just like a lot of people really affected me um on a deep spiritual level just the the scale of music that they play Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um the language the way the voices the way it's performed um yeah that that was that was something that i tried to embrace in hip-hop production um fairly early Mm -hmm. on and and even still do i mean even songs like what's the altitude from um, my audience's listening album kind of has an Ethiopian scale to it, even though it's not Ethiopian. Uh, It's reminiscent. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you can zoom out and, and see like, you know, there's Angolan influences, certainly, you know, South American, uh, Brazilian, um, you know, and Colombian influences and all the stuff that I do. I, I do world music mixes that pay homage to those areas um, and those rhythms. Cuban is huge. Cuban is another yeah. one. Uh, you know, going to places, finding music and bringing it back uh, has a bigger impact than when I just discover it. And mm-hmm. so Cuba is one of those places where... They have incredible good musicians. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, Oza Motley, we went out there in 97... So it was fairly early, certainly for yeah. Americans um, yeah. in my generation, anyway. And we were, we were, you know, lucky enough to um, play with musicians out there. And being a DJ, you know, to <laughs> be in the, in that country DJing at that time was crazy. I mean, it was like there were wow. hardly any DJs out there. They didn't have any rap. They knew Snoop Doggy Dog and Tupac. You know, Charlie was an instant. Charlie <laughs> Tuna was an instant superstar on the street in Havana. Yeah, wow. um, it was amazing. And to buy records back then and bring them back, and you know, listen to you know, Son and um, uh, Los Van Van, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. It, it was it was incredible. And I we just recently went back last not last year, two years ago, <clears throat> and um, it was. It was incredible two years ago, you know, a lot more opened up, um, mm-hmm. but, but the music is still there. It's still very spiritual and uh, yeah, it still affects me. I, I love That's awesome. Cuban culture, yeah. Cuban music. Yeah. yeah. Traveling and discovering music. That's the formula, right? It is. It really <laughs> is. Discovering new sounds. It really is. Yeah. I, I believe so. I, I think yeah. so. I, mean, uh, I, I lived a big part of my life in Europe and then I came back here to my hometown, you know, Ecuador and I decided to live in the Amazon rainforest because I thought this place has something that it has to be discovered also. So there's there's some sort of inspiration. I don't know what it is, you know. Nature, is there whatever, is you, it want, fairly, whatever you want to call it, right? Is it desolate or is there a community or is it a city? No, it's it's actually a city, but I live pretty much in the countryside. So it's, I'm, I'm really surrounded by nature. So if you come to my place, you would say, well, you really live in the jungle, right? <laughs> so wow. It's, uh, it's kind of cool. So it's a fairy uh, tale there, kind of house, you know. What kind of music is there? Well, that's a good question, you know, because we have different... Uh, indigenous communities here, you know, and they speak different languages and they have different uh, instruments, you know, to make music. So uh, there is this sort of cosmic, spiritual nature in the music here, maybe because of the shaman culture, you know, Mm -hmm. they always seek this spiritual reunion. Yeah. So, So they have their own natural elements their their own instruments it's very cool you know but i'm not an expert and it's something that yeah. i want to discover you know and, and because there is a lot to preserve i guess you know excellent yeah, yeah. and what was it new york so you, you you grew up in los angeles did you also go to new york during the 80s and 90s i suppose yeah i did yeah yeah, yeah. Did, did uh, my sister went to school at nyu so yeah the summers of uh 80s did you spend I think it was 80, yeah, 87, 88, 89, and 90. So, no, no, no. It was the summer of, I believe, 88, 89, and 90. Yeah, those are the three summers. And those are, those years are great. Like, what years to go to New York? I mean, amazing. Yeah, did you go to any New York clubs? No, no, I was too young for that. But what I did was I recorded, you know, the Red Alert radio show, Chuck Chill Out, and I just... Cool. really 
immersed myself in into the culture. Oh, and I went record shopping a lot. So the music yeah. culture um, stands nightclubbing because I was only 14. Um, mm-hmm. And I wasn't about to try to deal with going to a nightclub in, in a strange city yeah. <laughs> as a 14-year-old. White Danceria, the Latin Quarter, I think those the, are. Yeah, the Latin Quarter. Boy, can you imagine that? Me going to the Latin Quarter as a 14-year-old? Yeah. Yeah. That would have been something. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but uh, the, I had my hands full already with buying records, going to Music yeah, Factory, yeah. which is one of the major outlets, uh, and then listening to these radio programs and, and taping them and bringing them back home. It was like going to Mecca you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and learning teachings and bringing them back and spreading the gospel to people here in LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had a lot to do with my direction in hip hop and, and, you know, which eventually led me to J five embracing East coast culture, uh, hip hop. Um, and, you know, having, having that, I still have those tapes. And I and I still listen to them mm-hmm. and just love them. I was I, I love East Coast <clears throat> based hip hop culture. It's it's my favorite yeah. thing ever. Yeah, it's a big culture. It's incredible what happened in New York. Yeah, I mean, well, it started there, right? So, of course, I you know you feel that when you go there. Yeah, yeah. And in LA, were you were you part of a of a gang or an affiliate? <laughs> how, how did you? I thought I had to be that then. It's funny. I thought (laughs) I had to be a part of a gang. I thought like, okay, in 1986, because I was doing graffiti and things were pretty gnarly on the street in LA in 86 Uh when you were out there like spray painting your name on the walls. It used to be, you know, you would do art and then, then all of a sudden it was like tagging and you were part of a gang. And so I was like, damn, okay, I guess I, I have to be a part of a gang. (laughs) <laughs> and then I didn't. <laughs> Thank God that that just kind of wore off me anyway. And um, and uh, I saw other friends get involved in gangs and stuff like that through graf- doing yeah. graffiti art. Yeah. And I just kind of you know kept my head down and and kept um, honing in on my craft of DJing and what would eventually become producing when. I decided to uh, get that sampler and yeah. uh, just focused on that. Yeah, and with uh, Jurassic Five, um, how did you how did you form as a group? Were you well in in eighty seven when I met Charlie Tuna we and Mark Seven? Yeah, uh, we formed a group called Unity Committee, and that was um, yeah. that was that lasted until ninety four. And so 87 to 94, we were making demos, doing parties, um, trying to get signed to, to record labels and came close a couple times. But then in 94, when we met Rebels of Rhythm and we made the song Unified Revolution, we became Jurassic Five. And that was a unique enough thing coming from LA that um, caught the ear of uh, record execs. Mm-hmm. And we got signed, and thus was born Jurassic Five awesome. in nineteen ninety four. Nineteen ninety four. Yeah. Awesome. Um, let's talk about a little bit about your solo albums. Mm-hmm. Like, what what inspire you, or what inspire the sound on the audience listening, and how is it different from the sound on Die Cut? Because there is a a few years went by between those albums, no? Uh, uh, you mean uh, Die Cut or uh, an audience is listening in which album? How are they different? Um, die Cut. Yeah. Die Cut. Okay. Um, audience listen. Audience is listening is. God, how do I explain this? And what was my influence? I think listening yeah. to. Inspiration. Yeah, the inspiration was a bunch of things. I mean, obviously, if you're going to make a DJ record post-DJ Shadow introducing, that's going to make its way into the influence, you know, yeah, for yeah. sure. Him being a friend and it hitting everybody so hard, and including myself, 
I really liked the emotional vulnerability of that album mm-hmm. of audience of, of uh, introducing. And that was a huge step for, for DJs in hip hop, especially to take note of. And so I wanted to go kind of like a different direction, just, you know, for the simple fact that I'm a different personality than DJ shadow, yeah. Yeah. um, go kind of in a more extroverted way. So take Kid Koala, Mm -hmm. another huge influence. So Mm -hmm. I would say that my album lands somewhere in between Kid Koala and DJ Shadow. (laughs) It has the, you know, the extrovert personality and performance of a Kid Koala album, but it also has kind of a reserved yet emotional um, complexity of, or at least it tries to be, of uh, an introducing. So um, that's what I was going for. Those were my influences uh, when I was making the record. And, you know, where do I fit in? Because I I love both and I feel, you know, um, connected to both. And so songs like My First Big Break, uh, were the result of those two things. You know, I was also huge in like music theory and rhythms and changing rhythms within one song, um, which happens in Lesson Six, which is prior to uh, to this stuff. <clears throat> yeah. But um, my first big break does it. I want I wanted to make it fun, continue the dialogue record use, but not overdo it to where people thought that's all I did. Um, so I wanted to start the album off with it and then get out of it. Um, I wanted to pay an homage to my trip to Brazil mm-hmm. with the garden. So, you know, it had travel, it had adventure, it had sci-fi, it had, um, you know, Edon and Lyft on Storm, which ticked the box of hardcore rap over a futuristic beat that also kind of oddly sounded um, like old school electro rap, you know, mm-hmm. um, and psychedelic. I mean, there's so many different things that were going on. Psychedelic music, rap music, uh, world music. It was all mm-hmm. really hard to contain all those influences. And it took me four years, I think. Yeah, four years to make that record. Four years. Because I had to make sense of all this stuff. Of course. You know, how do I tell my story of my life on my first album when my yeah. when yeah. I have all these things to say? And uh, and I did. I, I love that album. It's it's a lot of fun to listen to. It sounds like somebody having a lot of fun in their in their bedroom, just you know, experimenting with music and different techniques of storytelling yeah. um, through yeah. music. <clears throat> so, yeah, I'm really proud of it. Yeah, that sounds amazing. So much work you put in there. So, And uh, I really appreciate that. And you have also a, a whole bunch of mixes and remixes. I have, I am I'm interacting right now with a couple of people here on my Discord. And here's a question related to... To this maybe a little bit the renegades of rhythm mm-hmm. uh, so what was the process of creating the renegades the renegades of rhythm with dj shadow no? right. um that uh, that was okay so just to it's a question of... from b-boy shack from ecuador uh, okay you, yeah. uh what did you say shack from ecuador yeah b-boy shack yeah he's, okay. he's, he's a friend of mine yeah okay a couple of, shack. Yeah. um yeah. That started with the purchase of Africa Bambata's record collection by mm-hmm. Cornell University for their mm-hmm. uh, hip hop archive. Mm-hmm. So a friend of ours brokered that deal. He's, and he wanted to do something special to honor um, the, the fact that the academic world was recognizing Bambata's records as artifacts. It was a big deal. 
So yeah, sure. he, well, by doing something special, he wanted us to do Shadow and I to do kind of like a brain freestyle mix with the records. And Shadow, mm-hmm. as forward thinking as he always is, was like, no, mm-hmm. no, let's not do that. Let's let's instead do a mix and a tour um, using the records. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, we had to get their permission. And because they, they're the owners of the records. We're just borrowing them and taking them around the world, you know, to like places like Zagreb. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, <clears throat> they said, yeah. And we spent about a month putting this mix together and this huge visual accompaniment that was just absolutely stunning using mm-hmm. these artifacts, which are, I mean, these things are living, breathing <clears throat> examples of hip hop being born. Wow. You know, these were the copies that were being spun. You know, these, these copies of Jimmy Castor bunch were the ones being spun at Bronx river center in 1976, Mm -hmm. you know, and now they're on stage with us being played for an audience in 2014. It was like, it was like a walking museum. Yeah. And, um, so just to kind of give you the an example of the weight of, of that was on our shoulders as far as what we what we were carrying and mm-hmm. how careful we were with these artifacts, but yet we were still cutting them up like crazy and doing the most we could to manipulate them into a um, into a, uh, an entertaining show. So it had so many layers to it. I mean, it mm-hmm. was just I think that was like. <laughs> It was, it was like that last, I, one, at some point in the tour, he's like, you know, Shadow was like, I think this is going to be the last time that I ever DJ with records like this. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, because I would retire this whole genre right now. I mean, this is it. This is bucket list shit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the process um, was, uh, it, as it always is with, with Shadow when we do these mixes, Brain Freeze or uh, Product Placement or Hard Sell. It's pretty hardcore regiment for a few weeks, putting it together. Um, I know he was very uh, adamant about arranging the set in a certain way that didn't make sense to me, but he had a story in his head that he wanted to tell. And, you know, me, I'm always like tempo specific. So I'm like, okay, we'll start slow and then we'll build up. But his thing is like, not so tempo specific. It's like, no, I want to tell this story this way. And I think if it, you know if we use these records, but then we switched the tempo and it, you know, told a different story at this point. It's very interesting the the, the, the storytelling, um, mm-hmm. our storytelling prowess uh, lies in different directions, him and I. So when we come together, it, it, it creates a perfect, uh, a, a, a perfect set, I think, because mm-hmm. he won't think of what I'm thinking and vice versa. And so mm-hmm. when we put it all together and add our, you know, techniques and scratches and juggles and stuff like that, it's, it, it has so many layers to it. The performance. That's so cool. Wow. That's such an amazing story. That's so cool. I mean, Africa Bambara. Yeah. He, he's, he's a God to me. I, I think a tribe called quest, uh, the last soul and Africa Bambara, are like my, my favorite. Yeah, yeah, they're all, I mean, native tongue is a direct extension of Zulu nation. Native tongue, yeah, yeah Zulu nation. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. you know, all that all that does really stem from. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the I'm actually wearing my Zulu nation cap. I have a cap. Oh, <laughs> so right now, right on. especially for this episode. Nice. Uh, yeah, uh, I have another question here. Uh, Miguel OG4 says, uh, what was the craziest outfit you ever had on a stage? <laughs> huh? Are you into that kind of thing? Uh, wearing, uh, um, no, I'm as, I'm as plain Jane as it gets when it comes to clothes. Yeah. But, yeah. um, let me think about are it. You, are you, to, are you into sneakers and stuff or? No, I, I am. I have them. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm one of those guys that just lets them get dirty. Yeah. Uh, what's the craziest thing? You know, I'm gonna say that there was a show we did in Japan, mm-hmm. Shadow and I, where we wore our 
our costumes. So he, you know, uh, product placement, he's the motocross guy. He he's, wears a, like a motocross suit um, <laughs> okay. with a helmet, goggles. And I have a, I'm a chef, so I wear a chef suit with a hat and everything. Mm-hmm. And so we wore that for the last show in Japan and that landed on Halloween night. So um, that was probably as wild as it got. We, we showed up in full regalia for our uh, product placement CD mix. All right. Awesome. Can I ask you a couple of other questions? I have like two or three more from guys here on. Yeah. This is okay. Yeah. Um, what's hip hop's greatest MC <coughs> of all time? <clears throat> oh. Um. That's a hard it one. It depends. I mean, there, yeah. there's, there's a few. There's, so, Black Thought and The Roots. Mm-hmm. The Roots. I think it's he's a tough one, tough act to follow. He's yeah. he's up there. He's he's one of my top. A Feral Munch. Feral Munch is great. Um, Micah Nine. Micah Nine is kind of like. It's tough, man. You have to be there, you know, like, because it's hard to find examples of, of how great he is on recorded yeah. music. Yeah. Um, but if you saw him in 91, 92, 93, you'd know. You'd be like, that. I, this is incredible. I think that there's some great examples, though. Um, you know, the first two free, Freestyle Fellowship albums, um, Inner City Boundaries, um, convolutions of jazz mm-hmm. the things he was doing with singing and you know rhythm unlike any any other mc uh go check out die cut rap video cut rap. uh that mm-hmm. he's on with d'anthony parks on drums you know mm-hmm. that that gives you a kind of a good idea of what um some of his better moments but uh yeah that guy that guy's a god to me i mean he is just amazing he's like the john coltrane of rap um so that's you know pasta news from de la's pretty i put him up there pretty high he's changed some some Mm -hmm. the game a few times for sure um yeah those are those are my favorite uh you know doom doom is up there too yeah 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 he passed away recently right yeah what a great loss yeah yeah i've been and listening to I, gazillion air a lot which is in like 2009 and i love that yeah. i love that shit and maybe one more here from caroline what's the story behind sound of the police that's one of your mixes right that is yeah that's a good that's a good topic um yeah Sound of the Police has a few different talking points. Mm-hmm. Let's take the main one. Malatu right. did his first show in L.A. ever mm-hmm. in his entire mm-hmm. life. What year uh, was that? In two, uh, it's 2009, I think. Mm-hmm. I believe it was 2009. And um, B+, uh, slash his company, Mochilla, put on the show. It was a series of shows called Timeless, and it was Malatu was one, Arthur Verakai from Brazil was another, David Axelrod was supposed to be a third. Um, David Axelrod was a no-show. So anyway, the first one, he asked me to if I could open up for Malatu, and I was like, okay, great. I can't just play awesome. records, you know, not for Malatu in a way. I have to do something that's going to be performance-worthy and... Um, pays respect to Ethiopian music, how much I love it. Not only that, but how much I love world, you know, music from around the world. So I decided to do a one turntable loop pedal performance. I was using the loop pedal for the hard cell set with DJ shadow. It was like eight turntables and and two loop pedals, but I wanted to do something that pared it down, like minimalized the setup so much that it became uh, like a a sonic tightrope performance. And it was so difficult 
to loop original pressings of like, you know, African and Colombian records and stack loops in front of an audience wearing a suit, you know, in a, in like, you know, mm -hmm. an academic environment. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but that's what I set out to do. And so I was so impressed with the fact that I even tried to do something like that, that I recorded mm -hmm. it. I recorded the, uh, the rehearsal sessions and I made a oh, mix really? CD out of it and sold it. Uh -huh. And it goes, you know, it goes from Ethiopian to Cumbia to um, Brazilian to uh, what's another Nigerian mm -hmm. um, um, Afrofunk. Uh, what else is on there? Um, that's, that's most of it. Yeah. That's most of it. Yeah. So sound of the police has so many different meanings. Uh, obviously the Karis one song sound of the police. So there's like a heavy hip hop nod, uh, yeah. to the title, but then also, um, back, uh, in the seventies, a lot of Ethiopian bands were military. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, there's, you know, a reference to that as well. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, I wanted to do something special and, uh, you know, per, from a performance side of things and a conceptual side of things and, uh, and have it be challenging, not only for me to execute, but for the listener, because back in 2009, when I was creating it, um, not a lot of people were listening to that type of music, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like certainly in that one, in, in like a mix where it's that concentrated. So yeah. I thought it was, um, you know, a little aggressive as far as like a musical share. Um, cause I didn't really hold back. I don't feel like I held back from the things that I had at my disposal back then. Um, I was kind of giving like, the the hardest of the hard you know from my crates of of that type of music so mm -hmm. um and you know and there was a minute there was a moment where i was like is this too much am i going too hard you know is it are people going to be like <laughs> we can't get with this because it's too deep or it's too yeah not too deep but like it's just so foreign that yeah, yeah. we have no way in so you know i tried to do things like you know if i were being introduced to this music how could i be kind of eased into it rather than just like jumping headfirst into mm -hmm. um, uh, things like Alamein by, you know, like a Malatu production, which might be sound yeah. like it's from Mars. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I would do things like dress it up with, um, you know, Fela and, and, you know, things that, that people probably already might be familiar with to help yeah. uh, usher in the more kind of deeper, uh, deeper selections. So, and, and it did well. I mean, you know, it was one of the most um, publicized things that I've done on my own. Yeah. You know, I did hire a publicist for it. And so, um, yeah, it did, it did quite well. Cool. Uh, it's, it's interesting what you're saying because you, you you're, you're kind of always thinking about the listener too. So not only the things that you like and, and, and love, but also you think, okay, what is the, the listener going to think about this right i uh, yeah i think it's some artists might say that that is a uh not not a good thing but um yeah. me as somebody who is a listener uh yeah you know i have to respect what people might think you know i don't i i don't put everything on it i mean i might disregard what the thought process might be because i have to be i have a mission to express this this thing and if people yeah. have a problem with it or say this about it then i still have to do it um you know i stand by that but at the same time i kind of want to brace myself for what the thought process is going to be once mm -hmm. i do put out that thing that i have to do you know mm -hmm. are you gonna get uh you know negative uh, positive a little of both a little you know what a everything is so sensitive these days especially now you know it seems mm -hmm. like 
Yeah. Anything that you say has so many different meanings from so many different perspectives, and it's almost Absolutely. impossible to take take it all in before you do it. But um, but just to know, you know, so I'm not caught off guard when something yeah. does happen. And, and I and I do take all the the feedback from 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 the audience in the world of what I do with with a grain mm -hmm. of salt, mm -hmm. you know. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I also listen. You know, it's not like I'm not. I never take the position like, oh, you the audience doesn't matter, you know, what they think, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, yeah. let's, you know, what, what's the title of my first solo album? It's the audience is listening. So right off the, the bat, you know, I took the audience into consideration yeah. um, because I, I'm part of the audience. So. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Now, I, I think in, in this context, I have here also a, a question on, on my discord from uh, Chris 808. He asked, was it a nice experience working with Shakira? That's something I didn't even know that you once mm. collaborated, right? I did a three-month tour in Europe, uh, yeah. being her opener, opening act. Um, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, she was great. Uh, her mm -hmm. her crew was great. Her crew of dancers were fun, and uh, her bodyguard was awesome. She was. I only. I think I I met her at the first show and the last show. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was one of those things probably where she was like, you know, who is this guy? And then at the end of the tour, she was very appreciative and was like, thank you so much for doing this. Right. Great. You know, uh, you, what you did for the crowd to, to, to get them in the zone before I came on stage was, was awesome. And, and so she, yeah, she was, she was great. Yeah. Cool. But I think you mentioned last time, like, like, like the first concert, the first gig wasn't that good. Yeah. Not, not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she didn't say, uh, I mean, you know, her people, were, I almost got fired, you know, just because I didn't know how to, uh, I mean, thinking of the audience, I didn't know how yeah, to yeah. translate what I wanted to say to an audience like that in a way that they would listen or care. Um, I mean, talk about going off the deep end on, you know, like just what I did, be juggling hip hop, like, this isn't yeah. that crowd at all. You know, yeah. I was, I was DJing, like I was DJing at a, um, like a, a 200 cap room, but it was like 30,000 people. Yeah. That's what I, yeah. It, it's a different, it's a totally different dialogue. And so, yeah. uh, it was a huge growing experience. I'm sure, you know, I'm, I'm kind of saying the same things, but just to kind of reiterate, it was <laughs> this, the second most single, um, growing experience of my life is is getting booed by an arena full of people in hamburg germany <laughs> awesome. yeah. i was checking your youtube channel today i was, I was listening to your um uh, candlelight series mm -hmm. um, i'm 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 really enjoying those mixes they're really cool yeah especially the ethiopia one. Oh, thank you yeah, yeah i i, I Wow. Yeah, that's, I really love those, I'd say. And during the pandemic, that was one of my favorite things that I did. Tell us a little bit about your, your, your website. You have a lot of a lot of things going on right now on the web, right? You have a yeah, podcast. Not, enough. not nearly enough, but I'm I'm yeah. I I sit and I mix uh you know, I archive whether it's my own stuff or or yeah. other people's things. And so right now what I've been doing, well, throughout the pandemic, I've been yeah. going through old drives, rescuing old drives, um, just nice. trying to take stock of everything that I can, I can save and gather and, 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 and put it in an archive. And now I'm starting to go back into that archive and go, okay, so what do I mm -hmm. want to reintroduce? What do I want to turn people onto that they might not know about? So whether it's, mixtapes from the 90s that was a that was a great campaign people really dug that cool. yeah. uh, my favorite mixtapes things that i haven't done uh, but other people have done that inspired mm -hmm. me to my own mixtapes and now what i'm doing is going into uh my s original sessions uh so recording sessions and mm -hmm stemming out the isolated parts that made the song in, in the in the recordings so like um, i'm going through jurassic five stuff and remixes oh, cool. and things like that all through 
throughout the 90s. So uh, I don't know what's going to happen with it, but um, but it's fun to go through it and at least organize it and be like, hey, if we wanted to put out Jurassic 5 recording uh, sessions so people can remix them, yeah, maybe, you know, they're here. So uh, so we'll see. But that, you know, I don't I don't. Uh, you know, there's five other people in the group, so I'd want to get their ideas and their blessings to see what what could be done with that material. But then there's also, you know, the sessions of my own stuff that I'm rescuing and trying to figure out what to do with. So I try to satiate my subscribers with this material. It's, you know, highly exclusive, obviously. And so yeah. if they want to, you know, peek deeper into the uh cut chemist world this is the best way to do it yeah yeah so you, you they can they can subscribe on your Bandcamp, and they they have access to all those yeah um, yeah we keep them in di digital form right yeah yeah so you can download all everything that's up there i think there's like i mean there's over 10 mixes i think there's almost like 20 or 25 mixes up right now so you can get all those download high quality and then um You also get little perks like, uh, you know, uh, I think it's like 10% off of any physical goods and stuff like that, which a lot of people take advantage of during, um, you know, like Bandcamp Friday. I'll do special yeah. sales because Bandcamp waives the commission. So that'll be like the time that I offer rare vinyl and things like that. And so if you're a subscriber, you get, you know, a, a cool 10% off. So that's nice. And um, cool. yeah, it's been good. It's been it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I, I've also been, you know, starting a podcast series exclusively for subscribers. Yeah. So they get to have kind of a, a, you know, hear me talk and shout them out and talk about stories from my past that are funny. Yeah. The Shakira one should probably be up there pretty soon. <laughs> I, should, I should tell that story. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Right. I'm really awesome. detailed about it. Okay, cool. And you were also on Twitch, I think, for the first time. You had a performance on Twitch, right? I think it was a month ago. I did, yeah. yeah. I wasn't able to watch it live. Was it good? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was, it, 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 it was so fun, it inspired me to invest in a stream um, studio. So I went and... Wow, really? And, do, you have, yeah. do you have like the whole setup now, a streamer setup? Well, well Arabian Prince, who's... Um, you know, kind of a, well, he's a member of NWA and yeah. uh, LA DJ. I mean, wow. royalty really. Yeah. And, uh, he custom builds PCs. Um, so he, uh -huh. Melody from the Beat Junkie said, you should call Arabian, have him build you one and he'll bring everything over and set it up for you. And so he did. And so, yeah, I have, I haven't started yet, but I have a whole, I have like a three camera, Uh, like, you know, overhead and over here and over here and a whole separate computer ready uh -huh. to go. So, yeah, sweet. I'm going I'm to probably start yeah, doing some streams, which is wow. funny because as we're kind of, I don't know how things are over there, but um, people are kind of over this pandemic thing with the vaccines rolling mm -hmm. out, things are opening up. So as mm -hmm. the pandemic kind of comes to its last stage, that's when I decide to, <laughs> to you know, start streaming, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. While everybody's going back to the club, I'll be at home streaming, and no one will watch. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I think the the, the streamer thing—it's uh, not—it's not going to going to stop. I guess it's uh, no, 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 no. It's just—I I guess um, I, I should have done this a year ago. But, yeah, yeah. But it's all good. Got to get in That's at some true. point. Mm -hmm. So you are now also on Twitch. Do you have your own channel now also? Yeah, actually I have two, but I'm I'm I'm, yeah. I'm promoting this the, the new one which is DJ Cut Chemist. All one DJ word. Cut Chemist. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Uh listen Cut, thank you so much for for your time. I I don't know is there anything else you want the world to know about Cut Chemist before we uh we end the show? Um Just, you know, stay tuned to all the, the platforms. You know, the fact that you yeah. went to YouTube is awesome. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna, I, I often neglect YouTube, and so I'm really glad that you brought it up. And it reminds me to keep uh, feeding that platform with new material because I think it's really important. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. Uh, stay, stay in touch with the DJ Cut Chemist Twitch page because I think I may bring the candlelight stuff over there. 
Nice. As well as doing uh, things like tutorials and um, and and DJ sets and and you know performances and stuff like that. It's not just going to be about DJing. It's going to be about you know a bunch of different things. So yeah, stay tuned. Yeah. Uh, that. I, I love that i love that. i mean i'm a geek so i'm really excited about to see your whole setup yeah <laughs> the mics and cameras and stuff yeah <laughs> man I'm, i'm excited and scared to start uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah looking forward to it and uh you know that's basically it hopefully um you know when things do start to uh really really open up and uh you know maybe i'll i'll start doing gigs again out, out outside which would be great yeah 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 I mean, outside. I hope, you visit, I hope you can visit Ecuador someday else in the future. I'm looking forward to it. It would be my pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Lots of music also to discover here. To talk about that. I'll bet. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Um, cut canvas, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much. It was a true honor and a pleasure talking. Thank to you me. very much. And let me know if bye there's bye. anything I need to do to close out, or do I just leave? Uh, no. Now it's just it's everything okay. Thanks for your time. Okay, thank you. Bye. All right. Bye bye. Talk to you soon. Bye bye.